Hey, you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Yeah, I was, uh, this is not a sob story, but I was stuck in an airport for 18, hour, 18 hours. I just exaggerated eight hours yesterday. What day is it? I don't and I'll get home and I'm laying on my bed. I'm like, I'm so exhausted. Gio's like, hey, uh, you want to preach tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, man, I do. Come on. No, I really do. It's, it's just an honor. And it's such an honor for myself, our family, my wife, five kids, and our team to be in this family. Um, it's just, it's been such a joy. We are, you know, sometimes... The Bible talks about knowing one another by the Spirit. And when you know one another by the Spirit, sometimes you feel like you've known people for decades that you just met, you know, months or a year or even weeks. And uh, I feel that with you guys. It's like there's this immediate sense of we are family, we know each other by the Spirit, and we are in a divine storyline together. And that actually what I want to talk about, what was in my heart when, when Geo texted, I, I knew immediately what it was, and it has to do with stewarding the divine storyline, laying hold of the promises. Geo preached, was it two weeks ago from Zechariah 3? I'm actually, I want to look at Zechariah 3 again here in a minute, so you can have just your finger there in your Bible, because I believe we are in a, a unfolding, an unfolding of a divine narrative, a, a supernatural storyline that we're walking out. And it's personal. Everybody in this room, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, how many of you love the scripture? It says, those that are led by the spirit are sons of God. So one of the marks of being a son of God or a daughter of God is that you're led. There's a leadership of the Holy Spirit into a divine narrative that you could never produce, never manufacture, and never accomplish without his personal intervention in your life. So just to declare it at the outset, what God has called you to do, you could never do in a million years. That's good news. It means you don't have to do it. What you have to do is say yes to him. He does all the heavy lifting. He's looking for a yes. But I, I do believe that there are also corporate storylines that we're walking out. There's a stewardship of a divine narrative. And, and I believe that there is an invitation to become skilled as individuals and specifically with this house on how we, and I'll say the we, we're in this together, how we steward the word of the Lord. Or you could say it this way, how we respond to the word of the Lord, how we cultivate the word of the Lord. There is a perhaps mistaken view of sovereignty, which has this kind of paradigm that God's just going to do what he wants to do regardless of all of us which in the ultimate sense, that's, there's truth. In the mystery of God, there's truth to that. But having said that, it's a misapplication of divine sovereignty, of God's sovereign leadership to assume that the prophetic narrative, 
the word of the Lord over our lives as individuals, as communities, and over the church and the earth is going to unfold without a sacrificial yes and a direct stewardship of that word by weak men and women. Not perfect men and women, weak men and women and children who say yes, and they wake up the next morning and they get the no back out of them. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like one of our spiritual mamas, Heidi Baker. She says, he, he took the no out of me. Have you ever had Jesus take the no out of you? Sometimes you need Jesus to help take the no out of you every morning. Sometimes it's every hour. You need that no transitioned into a yes. And that's actually what I want to talk about is how we walk out a supernatural storyline that is our portion in Christ. We were born for it. Uh, you, you could make, maybe there's a subtitle of this message called Chasing the Voice. And so I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I don't know if you... Maybe you feel like you've never heard God speak to you, but I, I want to tell you, even the fact that you're in this room today, I would submit is evidence that the Lord is moving around your life, that things are going on. He is working a thousand miracles we don't see at all times. And so what we want to do is learn how to cooperate with a divine narrative that's unfolding, a story that's unfolding in our lives where Jesus gets all the glory and our yes to him matters. And things will begin to unfold that, like the Bible says, eye is not seen and ear is not heard. I wonder if there's an appetite in this room right now for the things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. I wonder if there's a holy discontentment for business as usual. I wonder if there, in fact, I know the answer. There's a people in this house that have a holy discontentment. Some of you, it's like there's this disillusionment with even church as usual, and you kind of go like, maybe something's wrong with me, and, I, and it can go into a critical spirit that can be hurtful. But I want to tell you this, that disillusionment is your gift. That's the gift of God that's in this house right now. There's a bunch of disillusioned people, not mad at one another. I'm talking about the hunger and the ache for the more of God, that we were created to walk in something that Jesus is doing, and that our yes actually matters in the unfolding of that divine narrative. And, and I just want to process together for a few minutes how we walk this out as a family and as individuals. You know, uh, I think it's important to know, you don't get in a car and drive somewhere without knowing the destination. That would be pretty silly. It'd be pretty uh, unusual to just aimlessly drive around. Actually, sometimes that's fun, <laughs> to be honest. Every, but, but then the point is some kind of fellowship or prayer. But the point is knowing the destination is key. And I, and I want to just reference something quickly because before we talk about how we steward our personal storyline with God and our corporate storyline here in the Tampa Bay region, because God's unfolding something sovereign 
in Abide Church and in the Tampa Bay region. That is, I think we need to be able to respond to that and see it for what it is. But before we even look at that, I just want for a moment just to kind of shake off the dust of the navel gazing and the self-obsession that we naturally are inclined to. Let's just shake the dust and get our eyes on Jesus' storyline for a minute. Just, you gotta like shake off the dust sometimes and remind yourself of what he's orchestrating in the nations of the earth. And Zechariah, well, Zechariah 3 is what we'll get to in a minute. Matthew 24, a little tired here. Matthew 24, 14. I wanna encourage you, um, most of you know this passage, but get it tattooed on your heart. Get Matthew 24 tattooed on your arm if you have to. This is one of those verses that every believer in the earth should have memorized. There's no question, this verse right here should be written on the heart of one billion believers and they should wake up in the morning dreaming about it. They should go to bed at night dreaming about it because it's our story and it's about the worth of Jesus covering the earth, right? So here he is, the red letters in the Olivet Discourse when Jesus gave the, his messaging around the end of the age. He says this, and the good news or the gospel about the kingdom will be preached or proclaimed throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it or said the other translations says as a witness to all ethnos, all people groups, and then the end comes. So I, I just want us this narrative of the, this is the great commission, go into all the earth make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Great Commission is like a plumb line. It's how we raise our kids. It's how we spend our money. It's how we do our jobs. This is our story. And I, I pray that for the Western church, the plumb line of Matthew 24, 14, would get right down into everyday thinking. The, the, one of the YWAM leaders, Floyd McClung, called it apostolic passion. It's where you make every decision, every decision, big ones and little ones, plumb lined to how much glory can Jesus get and how can it contribute to that narrative? Every decision. That doesn't mean you get uptight and weird. It's your glory. It's our glory to live plumb lined. So when we're talking about the unfolding narrative, we have to understand uh, the hour that we're in. You know, Gio and uh, Tyler and I just got back from the Middle East. What was that, like a week ago now? I lost track. And uh, I'm not sure if we've had a chance to share much with the church about it, but there was one moment we were in this little prayer room, maybe what, 50, between 50 to 75 people maybe in this prayer room right there in the Middle East with gathered from all over the Middle East for 50 hours of worship and prayer to wait on the Lord. And they'd invited us to come. We were one of the only uh, Americans groups there. Most of them were native to various nations around the Middle East. And there's this family there that we're praying for on our first night there. And I, I could not stop weeping because this lady, this woman, the wife, lived in a town that was in one of the main ISIS areas in the Middle East. And 
her husband, they, they had a house church in their gym. They owned a gym. They had a house church in the gym and they start getting death threats because words getting out about the house church. But one day the husband's driving home for work and he's shot in his car. They killed him in his car because the word got out that he, they're leading a house church. So he's martyred for the gospel. The family leaves that town, recovers, a couple years go by. She ends up remarrying. They had a handful of kids. I think it was four or five children. She remarries that in that family, the new husband and the family's back in this prayer room. And the Lord had spoken to them about going back to the town. And we're laying hands on these guys, weeping over them as they're about to go back to the city where her husband was martyred. To re-engage for the gospel in that region. And you, and you look at what Jesus is doing all over the earth right now to fulfill that prophecy. And to understand that your life and my life is part of this grand narrative. That our yes, like, contributes to this. This unfolding of every single ethnos or people group in the world is going to have a witness to the gospel in that people group before Jesus comes back and the end comes. That's a narrative we got to have memorized. We got to eat, sleep, drink, dream that narrative. That's our story, isn't it? And I think here at Abide Church, it's like in the Western church, and all, it's human. We, we come in and it's mostly about us on the front end. I'm not, that, I'm saying human behavior. It's just, we're kind of trying to get our stuff together. Just, just trying to stop sinning. And you just want to know who we are. And that's critically important in the process. But there comes a moment where the Lord begins to wake you up. And your whole worldview shifts from self-obsession to great commission plumb line. And something happens in your heart and you start to go, there is greater glory in living for something other than ourselves. I remember the Moravians. You guys ever heard of the Moravians in um, Germany in the in the 1700s, I believe it was 1726, they had an outpouring in Hernhut, Germany with just about 300 Moravian religious refugees in a little town called Hernhut in Germany. And the guy that founded the town was a guy named Count Zinzendorf. And Count Zinzendorf was a German count, very, very wealthy, had massive piece of property, but he and a handful of friends when they were teenagers made a vow to the Lord. They made a vow to the Lord to do all things for the gospel. And they had rings and written on the inside of the rings, it said this, let no man live for himself. And they put those rings on and for the rest of their life, everywhere they went, they said, let no man live for himself. And so when they heard about hundreds of religious refugees, they opened up the property they owned and made it a refugee camp for religious refugees, Moravian religious refugees. And these hundreds of refugees began to seek the Lord. And in August 13th, I believe of 1726, I think that's right. They had the Moravian Pentecost where the Lord landed on 300 refugees and they began to pray 24 seven for about 120 years in Hernhut, Germany. And they became the first Protestant missions movement that exploded across the earth. 300 people in a community. But how many of you know Zinzendorf's yes changed history? 
The yes of 300 people on a little piece of property in Germany shifted history. And I would submit that the yes of Abide Church could shift nations, regions, and people groups for real. And when you get caught up in that narrative, it actually becomes a plumb line. And I, I believe this is a season of transition for Abide Church. I believe, in, and I heard Gio say this the other day, between now and May 28th, which is to gather, it's Pentecost Sunday. I believe we are in a critical moment where how we respond matters right now. And I, I would submit to us that the Lord's looking for a response. So that meta-narrative, we have the nations of the earth, and we're seeing it right now. In fact, I just got back from Ohio. We did a, an Awaken the Dawn leaders gathering, had about 75 prayer leaders from the Ohio region, different churches and houses of prayer, and we were just together for two days. And I, we Zoomed in a good friend of mine named Jason Hubbard. Jason Hubbard leads something called the International Prayer Connect. The International Prayer Connect is 5,000 prayer movements across the earth. It represents over 100 million intercessors globally. Uh, and the thing about these numbers is that Jason and some of these leaders, they've done due diligence to not exaggerate. Because sometimes you just, you hear preachers throw numbers and you're like, yeah, maybe. But Jason was like, we worked really hard to get the most accurate number we possibly could. And he goes, we believe it's about 100 million intercessors. Most of them are not American. It's the Chinese church where there's tens of thousands of 24-7 prayer rooms. It's the Middle Eastern church. It's the Brazilian church. Come on, somebody. We all got to go to school with the Brazilians. They, where's, it's like I saw Josh. Where's he at? There he is. He loves Brazil and people from Brazil. So this thing is unfolding and he's telling the story about 100 million intercessors. And they had this burden that's going on right now. You can look it up. It's one, I believe the website's like 110cities.com or something. They they had this burden to pray for the top 110 cities that represent the unreached people groups of the earth, mostly in the 1040 window. So the Muslim world, the Buddhist world, and the Hindu world. And he, they had this burden and they began to connect with the house church movements. One, one of the house church movement, again, these are numbers that just, they hit you and you go, what is happening on the earth when you hear this stuff? One of the house church movements predominantly centered in the Middle East, Iran and elsewhere, they have 30 million people in house churches right now, and a majority or a large percentage are Muslim background believers, MBBs. 30 million. I fact-checked the numbers after we got challenged because one of the missionaries in the Middle East said, I don't know if that's real, so I went, tell me if this is real. 30 and he, he said what they're doing, and that, that's one of a number of house church networks across the Middle East. The 100 million intercessors are teaming up with the house church movement to strategically engage cities of unreached people groups right now. And, and the reason I mention this is we need to track with the moment we're in. Because people all over the Middle East are seeing a man in white in dreams. 
can you sign up for the narrative? Are we just gonna live for our white picket fence, American dream, little world? I mean, nothing wrong with white picket fences. And even, but are we gonna sign up as a community at the heart level to be a Moravian lamppost? They said that in that house church network all across around in the Middle East, in the past, I believe it was year, I wanna get it right, 700 of their leaders have been martyred. And I think that that's our family. So the meta narrative, the, the storyline of God is our story. We need, it, we need it tattooed on our hearts this morning. It's, it's one thing to tell prophetic stories in, in, in a moment, we'll, we'll mention a little bit of that, but it's another thing to get rooted in this divine narrative. You know, another one is Romans 11, where Paul says this sentence that is one of the most earth shattering sentences. He goes, there's a partial hardening on the Jewish people, on Israel until the fullness of Gentiles comes in. Then he says this sentence, and all of Israel will be saved. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus looked at the Jewish leadership of Jerusalem and he said this sentence that the powers of the air, the demonic powers know this sentence much more than most believers. Most believers are unaware when Jesus looked at the Jewish leadership and he said this, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you, do you understand what he just said? He goes, I'm not returning until, Jew, until the, the, the Jewish people acknowledge me as Messiah. How many, how many of you know Satan and his minions have memorized that sentence? Why there was a Holocaust. But Jesus has a dream. He's raising up a hundred million, on May 28th, the 100 million intercessors for the first time in history are all gonna target the salvation of Israel globally. 100 million intercessors from every people group in the earth going, do Romans 11 now, Lord, watchman on the wall, save your people, Israel. The point is this narrative needs to become our narrative. It needs to inform our decisions, our prayer life. You know, like it needs to inform. Uh, it, it's not just that it needs to, we get to be a part of this. I know we're talking about martyrs and the, the sacrifice, but what about the joy and the glory of walking with Jesus in a divine narrative where he does all the heavy lifting? Because again, he's not called you to do something you can do. So we have the meta narrative, the, but then it, it, it comes down a couple levels into our story, our prophetic promises. How do we walk out a supernatural storyline? And again, I would submit to you, everyone, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're called to walk a supernatural storyline. It might be raising your children. How many of you know that's a supernatural storyline? <laughs> it doesn't mean big and famous. It, it might be big and famous. Most likely it's not. There's only a few people that really, there's only a few Billy Grahams. If your biggest dream is to be the next Billy Graham, 
If God calls you to it, you do it. But most people aren't called to be famous. Most people are called to be faithful. And understand that that narrative, whether you're in a stadium or a living room, is just as supernatural, just as holy, and just as much a part of the global drama. I don't know about you. I want to be in the story. We're born to hear the voice. And connect to the biblical narrative of fullness of Gentiles and salvation of Israel, which is Tampa Bay is part of that story. Absolutely for sure right now. But then we have this family narrative and personal narrative that we're called to walk out, but to understand how to walk that out is the key to understand how, how many of you want to become skilled in walking out the prophetic storyline over this house? Like somebody, I was just with a friend of mine in Ohio, Brian Williams, and he was talking about, he goes, one of the famous statements of, we call him Papa Lou, Lou Engel, one of his famous statements is when you're casual with the prophetic, there may be casualties. When you're casual with the prophetic, there may be casualties. In other words, when God releases a divine storyline, it's not just to tell good stories, it's now a stewardship. And most of the time that what he is speaking to you is beyond your ability to execute I remember I heard someone named Graham Cook say something one time. He goes, you can't come to God expecting him to be rational with you. You can come to him expecting him to be wise and strategic and prophetic, but he's not always rational by your definition. And when that becomes the litmus test, you will likely miss God. Because what God's called you to do is not something you can do. I want to tell you there's freedom in that. There's freedom. You can walk with a bounce in your step when you know it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit. You can walk free. You don't have to be under the pressure. Come on, there's freedom here today. You're not under the pressure to fabricate and make it happen. All you have to do is keep the yes. Get up the next day and say yes again. And then he does all the heavy lifting. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to read missionary biographies to us, and I pretended like I didn't like them. And I remember when he read, Is That You, God, by Loring Cunningham. It's like 100 pages long about the foundation of YWAM. I was 11 years old, and he read it. And I remember thinking, if that's what it looks like, sign me up. Because I was born for the adventure of hearing God's voice. Intercession is an adventure. Intercession is not something we do to get the breakthrough. Intercession is the reaching of love and the conversation and the unfolding of the prophetic narrative. We get to do this. Every single one of us, regardless of your vocation, this is your portion. It's to walk out a divine storyline in your life, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's your children, whether it's your business, whether it's your ministry. It's all of that and more, but you have a divine narrative that eyes not seen and ear is not heard. And I believe it's time not in presumption, but in faith to begin to dream again. I'm not talking about presumption, trying to get, I'm not talking about selfish ambition. If your dreams are defined by how much people like you, then there's a red flag. 
If your dreams are defined by how, how much attention you get from people, probably a red flag. But when you're dreaming with God, when you're in that prayerful, intimate journey of birthing the vision, anything, those dreams, we dream too small there. And I think that there's an expansion even of this house to, because eyes not seen and ears not heard what's about to come to abide church. I'm not saying that just because we're here and we want to be part of something fun. No, I, I believe that's the word of the Lord to this house. You are in transition. But in order to make the transition, there is a response that the Lord is asking of us. It is a response of faith and intercession. And it's a, it's a response of stewardship of the word of the Lord. Hearing, hearing the word of the Lord and obeying him. So I want to just mention three phases of how we steward the prophetic narrative. I believe there's three parts of the process. And, those, and these three parts are often working with each other. But again, to go to school, it, it sounds amazing to tell the stories. You know, our, our, our story, the Lord told us things. There's, there's been three, thus says the Lord's directionally in my life. I mean, God said a lot more than three things by his grace. Thank you, Lord. But there's three times in life where God came like in the spirit of Isaiah chapter 30 where it says, you'll hear the voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. There are moments in the life of a believer and in the life of communities like this, where God will come behind you, not just with the little nudges, but with the word of the Lord that requires a transition and a change. So in our lives, there's been three times. One was the birth of a house of prayer in Virginia. The second was Awaken the Dawn, the launching of that on the National Mall. And the third was moved to Florida. But I remember in every one of those times, there's a process of the birthing of the vision, the death of the vision, and the supernatural fulfillment of vision. And to understand the ways of God in that process, how does the birthing, the death, and the resurrection, because we tend to think glory to glory just means better and better to better. But the two in there, the glory to glory, that's the cross. God's way of birthing supernatural narratives is not just making it better to better to better to better. It's death and resurrection. It actually is. I know this preach is good maybe, but just see the tear rolling down my cheek here. Like This is real and glorious and joyful and also it's costly. The birthing of the vision is the process of God. Now, many of us, we want something that we can start in a boardroom. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm this way sometimes. I mean, human people, we, we just want to go get a whiteboard out and just create the vision. Now, I believe in whiteboards. I believe in rounds. I believe in boards. I'm on too. Those things are helpful. They're resources. They're assets. Organizations are tools, but when organizational preservation becomes dominant, the, the thing that was meant to serve, which is an organization, becomes hostile to the purposes of God, and then God has to deal with organizations. But the organizations are important, but there are things. There are things God wants to do that don't come in a board meeting. 
There are things that only come in a secret history with God. There are things that are not started, they're birthed. Do you know what I'm saying? There, I remember in my own journey longing for, I, I actually talk about the birth of the vision, the death of the vision. I, in Virginia, I had this dream. We started praying 24-7. God, God showed up. I mean, like lightning bolts were striking buildings when kids were praying for them. Like there were lungs getting recreated. I'm just like, oh my gosh, God sees us. And we get this vision. I had, I had diagrams and I had the whole thing written out. Went to all the leaders. This is what we're going to do. Handed it to everybody. They're like, uh, no, we're not doing that. I'm like, don't you know God said? No, we're not doing that. And this process of God, you know, you, you think that you just think it's going to happen in our timing, in our way. But I, I just want to say, if God is unfolding a divine narrative, then we need to be prepared for surprising times of breakthrough and intervention and surprising times of mistreatment and delay. Because both are in the process of God. And what usually happens is when you have the birthing of the vision, which is when God begins to speak to you, and sometimes it's dramatic, then there's the testing. You guys remember that verse where it says, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. <laughs> the word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord tested David. The word of the Lord tested Geo and destiny. And, right? That it, and so there is this sense where the Lord is more concerned with our identity before him as sons and daughters and preserving a place of intimacy than he is about our external success. He cares about our external success, but it's not the primary concern. And so what happens in the Western church or in human nature, I think actually, is that we get confused on the difference between identity, calling, and assignment. And when you make your assignment, what you're supposed to do for God, your identity, you lose the plot and end up mistreating people. Because you start to fight against people because your identity, your sense of value is in what you're doing to such a degree that you're no longer free to do it. And so the Lord has to come in to visionary people and he goes, I'm going to give you this supernatural narrative and then I'm going to set you free from it. Going to get your white knuckles off of it and let me be God. And I'm going to do it and it's going to be all glory to God because you're going to realize at the end of the story, you couldn't have done any of that. I remember some of you guys know our story. The Lord said to go to the National Mall in 2017, and he confirmed it supernaturally. I mean, we, I dragged my feet for a year on this thing. I'll never forget, I was sitting with Lou and his Ingle in, his car, in my, my car. I was driving rental car, and he's in the seat. And I'm telling him this whole story. I mean, it was the kind of scenario where there was a birthing of a vision. Didn't come from just a boardroom meeting. The word of the Lord began to chase us down. You ever had the word of the Lord chase you down? Maybe you haven't, but just get ready. If you lean into the conversation, he talks back. You're like, oh, I've never heard God tell me something. Just stay before him. Just stay in the place of prayer. And in a matter of time, places like this, 
these Antiochs, these prayer rooms like this, they're birthing rooms. Like get ready, it's gonna start unfolding in our lives individually and corporately. And, and I remember I was driving with Lou in the car and we're, and I've got this thing. It, the, the thing that the Lord was saying to do was so absurd and, and God definitely picked the wrong guy to do it. And I told him, God, that he picked the wrong guy. I'm like, you don't understand. I don't have the resources. I don't have the connection. I don't have the money. You picked the wrong guy. And I'm driving with Lou and I'm telling him that. And he goes, you're the one with the storyline. <laughs> I'm trying to get Lou to do it. God's saying, Bob Jones said, go to the, God, Bob Jones said, set up tents. We got to go to the National Mall. It's 50 tents. It's thousands of musicians. God confirmed it, five dreams. It was dramatic, the whole thing. And I'm like, you got, and he goes, you're the one with the storyline. And I think I would say this to this house, you're the one with the storyline. He goes, if you do it, I'll go with you. I'm driving in the car and I'm thinking, Lou got that in the wrong order. <laughs> He's supposed to do it and I go with him. He goes, nope. I go, Lou, what's my next step? He goes, you've got to talk to my friend, Chris. So I drop Lou off at the conference. I turn around, go to the airport. I'm thinking, he goes, if you pull the trigger, we'll go. But you have to pull the trigger. How many of you know there's moments where you have to pull the trigger? There's moments where you have to go, God's birthing a vision and there's a step of faith. And that step of faith never feels fully just settled. It's unsettling. It's glorious. It's fun. Okay. So this sounds kind of heavy. It's fun, but it's unsettling. It just messes your little world up. You get it all nice and dialed. The Lord's like, okay, now. And you, you stay, he goes, you pull the trigger. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to this Chris guy. He lives in Kansas city. I'm in Atlanta. I'll set up a meeting. He goes, I go, Luke, can you set a meeting? He's like, yeah, I'll set a meeting up. I'm in line for my flight. You know, I'm standing there in line. I got to talk to Chris. 30 minutes later, I look up and the guy in front of me in line is Chris. I'm, true, true story, I was eating a bag of M&M's. <laughs> I never eat M&M's. I don't know why I was eating M&M's. That's probably the last time I ever ate a bag of M&M's. And I'm sitting, or maybe the last couple, but, and, and I, I choke on the almond M&M. Chris, Chris lives in Kansas City. I'm in Atlanta on a flight to Virginia, and Chris is in front of me in line. He goes, what are you doing in Atlanta? I'm like, what are you doing in Atlanta? He goes, oh, I was here for me. He goes, I was like, I was just with Lou Engel. He goes, oh, Lou's in Atlanta too. Wow, this is amazing. What's going on? He knew this guy, you gotta be careful with prophets. God blows your cover on stuff. Like even when we were moving to Florida, I was like, I'm not telling anybody. Sit down at lunch with two leaders in Atlanta. I mean, not Atlanta, at Orlando. Sit down in Orlando. The wife goes, well, the Lord told me on the way over that you're moving to Florida. We hadn't told anybody. We told you guys. We, we just talked about it. And Alan Hood. Anyway, God will blow your cover. But God will set things in motion, the voice behind. If you'll stay in the conversation, he'll be in the conversation. But it doesn't come in the boardroom. It comes in the conversation. It comes in the wilderness of prayer and fasting. 
It comes in the word and it comes like, how many of you just want God to tell you what to do? And how many of you know that painful silence? He's just like, won't talk to you about what to do. He talks to you about your heart. And you're like, I didn't come here to talk about my heart. I came here to tell, for you to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. And he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. And you're like, no, no. The birthing of the narrative, the birthing of the storyline is in intimacy. And I would say it a little stronger. You can't be in intimacy with the Lord and not see divine storylines move around your life. Things you can't produce, things you can't manufacture, things that God's hand is on. The testimony of Jesus will come out of your life. Your kids will see it. Your neighbors will see it. It'll be glorifying to Jesus, and it'll be weak you walking out of a divine storyline. Every single one of you are called to this. Every single one of you are called to hear the voice. And Lou goes, you got to pull the trigger. We go, I remember getting publicly rebuked one time by Heidi Baker in front of 2,000 people. I told her the whole story, all these details, all these things. And she goes, I go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. She goes, well, I know what you're supposed to do. She goes, maybe the Lord will tell you something tonight. I'm like, oh, that's, that's sweet. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Sweet mama Heidi couple thousand people there streaming it out. I'm sitting there just minding my own business. She goes, David Bradshaw? Yes. If God says go to the National Mall, you go to the National Mall. You can ask how, but you can't say no. I'm like, I went up after her. I said, thanks for the public rebuke. I think that's my first one, actually. To be honest with you, I'm not sure I've ever been publicly rebuked, especially in front of thousands of people. But no, it was, it was glorious. So the, the birthing of the vision is in the place of intimacy. But God takes the birthing and then draws us into a death of the vision. And what that means is this. He brings you to the point where he allows in the process circumstances that appear to make the very thing that he has said impossible. And sometimes that's demons and their spiritual warfare. And other times it's God's genius. He allows circumstances that make the prophetic narrative seem like it could never happen in a million years. You know what I'm talking about? There's not enough money. There's three things that usually happen. And they're the three things that Zechariah, and this is what I'm going to end with. There's the three things that Zechariah is dealing with when he's prophesying Zechariah chapter 3. He's talking to the Jewish people who had returned from Babylon at the word of the Lord, right? There was millions, a couple million Jewish people in Babylon for 70 years. Jeremiah the prophet says, after 70 years, you're going to return to Israel after your Babylonian captivity. But only about 50,000 of them actually returned. Zechariah is talking to the 50,000 that said yes. Not the million that were back there. The 50,000, this is a room full of people that a lot of you have already said yes. This word is to the people that said the yes, not the people that are in full-blown compromise. And they said yes, and they get there at the word of the Lord. You ever had this experience? It's like, yeah, God told us. 
was kind of excited, kind of strutting back to Jerusalem. We're going to build the temple. We got the word of the Lord. Jeremiah said it. God thundered from heaven. You get there, and then three things happen. Number one, you got filthy garments. Oh, shoot. You have weakness. You have sin in your past, and you have your own weakness. You encounter it. Number two, there's demons trying to take you out. And they fire real bullets, I've found out. I, I, I uh, didn't, know, didn't know that, but I've discovered that there's real bullets in the spiritual warfare. And so all the ites, you know, all the people groups, they're right there trying to take out these people in Jerusalem that said yes to the word of the Lord. And then the third thing is they didn't have enough money. They didn't have resources. How are we going to build this when we can't even build our own houses? Not enough resources, demonic opposition, and your own weakness. Sound familiar? Those three things ring a bell for anybody else in the room. Those are our issues. You get the prophetic narrative. You get the birthing of the vision. You're like, woo, God's about to do stuff in Tampa Bay to gathers only seen the beginning of the beginning of what's coming. Abide is going to see growth and, and more than numerical growth. It's going to be a growth of the water level. That's this is the word of the Lord. This is happening. This is an apostolic center. And I don't mean just fivefold apostles running around. That's not what I mean. I mean, it's a community that's moving in that same culture of Antioch and Acts 13, where there's ministry to the Lord. There's laborers getting sent and there's a dynamic of the Holy Spirit's power. That is this house. That is your calling. That's the word of the Lord. And it's going to unfold progressively. But in the unfolding, those three things are going to hit us. Human weakness, demonic opposition, and well, we don't have enough money. That's what happened in Zechariah chapter three. That's what happened to us on the National Mall. I've always told the story. We were $1.4 million in the red the night before. I remember I was driving in my car one time. My kids are in the car and I'm processing. You know, you know how you process in front of your kids and sorry guys are right over there. You process in front of your kids and then you accidentally forget you're processing in front of your kids. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I'm, Ashley and I are talking. I'm like, what, how is this going to happen? And what if the money doesn't come in? We're, I mean, we, I signed this thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's our house, you know, and I'm saying all the what ifs. And I'm driving. And some voice in the back of the car from one of our kids goes, Daddy, I thought God said to do this. God has not called you to do something you can do. God has called you to do something you could never do because he's called you to dependency and intimacy, not presumption, dependency and it to walk out the, the prophetic narrative. Anyway, the end of the story is we get through the whole event and we're still a million dollars in the red. God said to do this thing. It was dramatically supernaturally confirmed 1,700 worship teams show up, 1,700 prayer houses, worship 24-7, healing, salvation, deliverance, blah, blah, blah. And then at the next morning, you wake up to a million-dollar bill. And I remember my friends, hey, did, did, did you pay the bills? And I'm sitting there like, no. <laughs> and I'd had this divine appointment about three months earlier. I'm on, in D.C., and my wife says, you need to stay in D.C. tonight. I don't know why, but the Lord's saying you need to stay in D.C. I'm like, why? 
She goes, just, just stay here. So I'm walking around the National Mall in my T-shirt. I don't know why I'm in D.C. Shaka ba da da, just praying. And I get a phone call. Hey, tell this guy the whole story. Okay, blah, blah. He's a famous guy, you know, like well-known. I'm like, I'll tell the Bob Jones and the tents and the youth of America. And we're going to gather day and night worship. And the guy goes, huh. He goes, where are you? Like, odd question. Um, standing on the National Mall in D.C. He goes, oh, I'm in D.C. too. Uh, where in D.C.? Oh, you're a block away from me. Come over right now. I'm in my T-shirt, sweaty. Walk into this five-star hotel. I'm like, hey, I'm the guy that's doing the big, <laughs> doing the big thing. <laughs> we're going to change history. Then we Ooh, I'm sorry, <laughs> And so I meet this guy and we start a friendship. And about two weeks after the event, that guy calls me and he goes, we had a call with the guy and he goes, well, how in the red are you for this thing? 500,000, a million? I said, I'm a million in the red. He goes, I'll wire it tomorrow. Paid the whole, paid the whole bill off in a divine appointment. And I remember I stumbled out of that thing because I stumbled out of that and I went, I'm never going to worry. I, I took this internal vow and I don't know if I fulfilled it. You know how like the people of Israel, like the people of Israel, it's like they cross the Red Sea and the man is on the ground and then they don't have water. And they're like, take me back to Egypt. You're never going to provide. Right? Like human nature is just jacked up. Which is, uh, but I said, I'm never going to worry about money ever again. I got better. I did have a dramatic improvement of worrying about money. That, there was a dramatic improvement. The never part, I'm still working on. But the point is, God takes us into this place just like Israel. And, and I want to end with this, because we're a little late here. But I, I think that there's a stewardship, and there's a lot more to say about how to steward these narratives. Because there's a praying through of the narratives. There's a laying hold. 1 Timothy 1.17, wage a warfare with the prophecies you've received. You don't just passively talk about them. You pray them through. Number two, you do it in community, not just in isolation. Paul didn't get his missions assignment without Antioch. I don't think even ATD, we're, we're going, we need, a, we need abide. We want to be friends. We have to be together because God works through the relationships, not just the guy and superstar in the corner. You don't get your calling without serving other people's callings. You got to lay down your life for other people's callings to get your calling. So you got to do it in community. You got to write down the vision. You got to steward it. We used to have these things called dream streams where we would get together. And it's like, what did God say? We, we record it. And, and what we found is the more we did it, the more it increased. This is a prophetic house and it's going to increase. And God's going to lead you in thus says the Lord narratives. And when that begins, and it's already happening. And as that begins to happen, he's going to open the doors. But let me, let me just end with this principle of Zechariah 3. Because, and Gio already hit this so well two weeks ago. Go back and listen to the message. But that dream you had was like 12 in a row or something. Where God was changing the garments. I, that's the word of the Lord to this house. And that has to do with this. It's not just changing the garments so that we feel better about ourselves. Thank the Lord. That's part of it as well, because we have that sense of righteousness. And, but it's more than that. It's so that we can steward what God's unfolding right now. 
And what happens in Joshua chapter three, or Zechariah chapter three, is Joshua is standing with filthy garments, right? He's representing, he's the high priest. He represents Israel. He's got filthy garments on. And I'll just read it quickly. We really are gonna end with this. Then Zechariah 3, one, then the Lord showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuked you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuked you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing, remove the filthy garments. And he said to him, behold, I've taken away your, your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Here's what God does for his leadership team. He cleanses us with mercy. We don't qualify to do what God's called us to do. Here's what qualifies you. God says you're qualified. That's the only thing that qualifies you. When did we ever get in the place where we thought we could just have the ability to do it? We're not qualified because we want to be qualified or because of any merit on our own. It literally is God's mercy. For weak leaders who are sincerely repentant, we're not talking about walking in open compromise. That can hinder God's purposes for sure if you're in active, open compromise. But for those that have said yes to Jesus and they have the stain on their garments of shame, the Lord comes to his leaders and he goes, you are no longer, and he does it with a smile. You are no longer allowed to disqualify yourself. Do you know that's illegal to disqualify yourself? Do you know Jesus is the one that establishes and removes lampstands? That's not us. And when he establishes you, it's him. I remember I'm standing there doing the things God said to do, you know, in some of these stories I'm, I'm sharing with you. And I'm going, why am I in this room? And he goes, because I, I called you. He woke me up in the middle of the night one night. I only heard the audible voice of God once in my life. In the middle of the night when we stepped out in faith, I was jolted awake and I heard the Lord. And do you know what he said? He said my name. He said David. And in that moment, the, it was like shame was taken away and confidence. If we could move in the assignment from a place of success, not for success, because the shame's been taken away and we have a conscious awareness of being loved. And that's not some sappy, feel good, little emotional message. It's a foundation. You can't fly until you get to the point where shame is no longer dominating your thoughts. You're already in a place of success when you're sincerely repentant. It's called mercy, you guys. It's mercy that takes Peter the apostle who denied the Lord three, day, uh, three times and just over a month later, he's standing as the preacher on the day of Pentecost. That's called mercy. It's mercy to take the most notorious killer and persecutor of believers in the whole world, the very face of persecution, Paul, Saul of Tarsus himself, and make him the apostle to the Gentiles. Mercy for leaders. 
Leaders get mercy. You only lead because of mercy. You're only able to function because of mercy. And he takes away the, the garments, the stain, the filth, the disqualification. How many of you know Satan was right in his accusation? He looked at Joshua's filthy garments. And when Satan accuses us, most of the time, you can look straight back at him and go, you're right. You're absolutely right. But here's one thing he's not right about, that you're disqualified from the divine storyline. Yeah. We have an ace up our sleeve. It's called the blood of Jesus. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He'll take Moses who goes, I can't even preach. I can't speak. Give me Aaron. I can't do this. You picked the wrong guy. And he goes, God goes, first of all, you don't get to choose. I do. Little guy. And I think he would say that over this house. You don't get to choose. I do. You didn't pick this. I picked you. And I did it with a smile on my face, but I'm looking for a yes. And I'm not looking for you to look to your own merits. I'm looking for the yes. And so in Zechariah 3, he goes to the leaders. They had quit building the temple for like 16 years. They quit. They were the 50,000 that went across the desert to build it. 15 years later, they quit. I mean, 16 years, they quit. They just could They didn't have money. They didn't have strength. And they felt their weaknesses. And they gave up. They just quit. And God has to send Zechariah and the angel of the Lord to go, I've given you new garments. You're qualified. Not because you're qualified, but because I say you're qualified. I take the weak things of the word world to confound the wise. I take the foolish things of the world to put to shame the smart Alex. If you feel weak, it means you're qualified. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the ones that possess nothing. They get everything. Blessed are the people that know they're weak and are fully dependent, they're the ones that get the kingdom. So for leaders, we're not allowed to disqualify ourselves. The spirit of Jesus is coming to this house. He told Gio in a dream, how many times? Like 20 times or something. People don't just have the same dream 20 times in a row with the Lord's word in it. Don't be casual with that. The Lord's coming to this house because some of you have quit. And the shame has called you to shrink back where you can't run after what Jesus has called you to do, but he's about to restore the bounce in your step. Seriously, he's about, because there is freedom when you understand God's the one that does it. I'm never going to worry about money, people. I remember I was driving with Heidi after that. She gave me that word and I said, how do you do it? And she goes, oh, I stopped worrying about money and people years ago. She goes, if I worried about that stuff, I'd never sleep. She goes, when God says to do something, there's no risk. What if there was freedom for leaders to get out of the shame? And then the second part in Zechariah 4 is that there's this endless supply of oil. And do you know what the oil is? It's the Holy Spirit. And he's saying in the text to the 50,000 people that quit building the temple because they were overwhelmed, he goes, guys, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And I would say to us today, the shame of the filthy garments are leaving today. 
This whole conference, I was in Ohio, but I heard there was like this reaching for the new season, this stepping in faith, and there's a garment exchange. The word of the Lord that God gave Geo as a father in this house in a dream is that the garments are changing and the shame is taken away and that our relationship, our conversation and intimacy with the Holy Spirit is the pathway forward and he can do anything. Amen. I wanna, I wanna pray for us because I, I, I just believe, sorry, I went a little over. I just think this is holy, you guys. We're stewarding a prophetic narrative. There are prophetic promises over this house that we can't produce. There's prophetic promises over Tampa Bay to gather. There's a bill to pay for that stadium. There's things, but I think God's bringing us to the point where we're never going to worry about resources or our own weakness. There's a cleansing. There's a, there's a not by might nor by power. There is a bounce in our step, not presumption, not casual, not, I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. We're able to wake up in the morning without the weight. And I feel like that even for the team here, you guys already do this well, but I feel like there's weights that you've carried of trying to execute God's will for Tampa Bay, for the abide community, for your lives and your families. And I feel like this is a time where that weight is being lifted because I feel like the spirit says he's gonna send you resources. Even at the 11th hour, I believe the Lord says, I'm gonna send you resources. And it's gonna be exceedingly above what you could have asked, ever ask, think, or imagine. And even the signpost of this the merger of the churches and how all this happened even in the past, I guess, year or so. I believe that's a signpost of a culture that he has now established you in over which you now have stewardship, which is the expectation and the intercession to lean in for dimensions of Holy Spirit activity, of oil and of provision that is literally gonna become a testimony to this place and even to the nation and the nations. And I, I feel like I just wanna say, God has raised you up as a sign and a wonder. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that even all over this room, that there would be a garment exchange. Come on, if you're disqualifying yourself, I believe right now it's time to wage a war on that false narrative and begin to stand up and come into agreement with the Holy Spirit who says, what I've qualified, you can't disqualify. I'll make a way where there is no way. I'll open doors that no man can shut, right? So Lord, we pray, drive back right now the unbelief, God. Lord, the, the pressure we put on ourselves to accomplish, to get us off the hamster wheel of striving and trying and wrestling and all of the stuff in our own strength, the unbelief. Right now, I pray that you take us into that realm of God. Anything is possible. And we say over Tampa Bay, anything is possible for you. Yes. Nothing is impossible to him who believes. We say it over Tampa Bay right now. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. The glorious things that he has prepared for you before the foundation of the world. We say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we will be those who take the no and transition it into a yes. Take the no right out of me. Take the no right out of us. Come on, the, I, I think this morning is about the fresh yes. Can we, can we stand together? Let's, I don't want to do this in presumption, 
but I, I just want to link arms with each other. And I mean, you don't have to physically do that unless you want to, but I, I just feel like I want to say yes. Even when we don't know where it's all going. Do you remember the Abraham deal? He goes, leave your mom and dad's house. Go to a land that I will show you. And Hebrews says, and Abraham left not knowing where he was going. How many of you know what I'm talking about right now? Sometimes you got to go, you got to say yes, and you're not even going to know all the outcomes. And the control spirit gets all up on us and we have to feel like we know the outcomes. And the Lord goes, I'm setting you free from the control spirit. I'm literally not going to tell you all the outcomes so you can trust me. You got to get free. Set us free this morning, God. At the tail end of this conference weekend, let it be a marker of the next season of leaders being free to say yes from their heart. And I'm saying this over my own soul. Some of us have hope deferred. We have unfulfilled expectations. We've had delays over the prayers we've been praying. You've prayed the same prayer for months, the same prayer for years, and the delay and the delay and the delay has caused hope deferred to take root in your heart where you've actually started to lose heart and quit. And the Lord says, today, by the eyes of fire, by the glimpse of the eyes of Jesus, I'm going to take the no out of you, and I'm going to give you a fresh yes. And you're no longer going to be on that hamster wheel of striving and attempting to produce it, because the Lord says, it's not by your might anyway, it's not by your power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so, Father, we pray in this house, whether it's real estate, whether it's jobs and, and, and businesses you've called us to, whether it's our children and our family, or whether it's ministry and missions assignments you've called us to walk in. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would deliver us right now, that there would be such a glorious freedom to say yes to you, to, to run with you. We want to be those, those Isaiah 40 people. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not faint. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will soar. Beloved, you were called to soar. And that is going to take time. It's not going to come in an instant microwave culture. But I want to tell you, you were born to soar. You were born for prophetic narratives. You were born for storylines. And as we say yes, he does the heavy lifting. So I pray, put the yes in us this morning. This is not just a message. We want to be a people that are saying yes, a house built for you. Yes to the house that's built for you. Yes to what you're doing with the Great Commission. Some are going to, there's going to be relocations at times. There's going to be changing of jobs at times. There's going to be, some of the yeses are costly. Take the no out of us, Holy Spirit. I'm saying it over my own self. We want to be the 100% yes people because that's where the freedom is. Set us free, God. Set the abide church family free. Lord, that dream of Geo, let that shame, those accusations of the evil one lose their power. God, I pray that a people would rise up in this place. Can we just lift our voices for a minute? Just begin to sing and pray and in the spirit. Let's minister to the Lord here. This is holy. God's doing something. 
Father of glory, you are welcome in this place. Let the King of glory come in now. Lord, we say it's not about what we do for you. It's about you. You are the narrative. Come on. You are the storyline. You are the reward at the end of the story and in the middle of the story and at the beginning of the story. You are the reward. Open the doors. Come on, let's begin to speak to these doors to open right now. Come on, I feel like there's corporate faith. You guys remember the verse? Matthew 16, he goes, I've given you the keys. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I, I feel like it's right now, it's time to go. We're not going to be passive observers of the purposes of God for Tampa Bay. We're going to be active voices to unlock the door that the word of the Lord will begin to prevail in this city. That the Jesus movement that's hitting the campuses would hit the campuses of Tampa Bay. Oh, come on, let's begin to activate our voices right now. I know it's getting a little bit late, but let's just activate our voices and begin to pray and begin to pray and prophesy and sing. Let's just begin to declare who God is and what he's going to do. Can we do this together? You're the God of the impossible. You're the God that acts on behalf of those who wait for you. You're the God that will fulfill his word. Every promise, it says all your promises are yes and amen in Christ. And we say all your promises are yes and amen. We are reaching in the spirit of Philippians 3. Lord, we press on to lay hold of that for which you laid hold of us. And we pray for that pressing on, even this coming week to begin to pray the promises let it come Lord let it come Lord really quickly I really want to go after those that have been dealing with that thing of disqualification I just feel like having people around you to champion you in this moment and and I just I'm going to ask us to be vulnerable this may be the last thing and we'll make space for those that need prayer but if you've been dealing with that disqualification it's like I quit even before I start would you just lift up a hand so we know how to pray all across the room anyone else I want people just coming around I think that there's many more but it's okay if you, our prayer team just find somebody right now we just want to go after this part of the dream was that the Lord was saying, don't let sorrow creep into the heart. So we're just going to continue to go after this right here with Amy. Keep your hand high. I'm going to ask you to put your hand on the person next to you. If there are prayer teams around, there's, there's right back here. Everybody with somebody, please. If you see somebody around. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus, I'm going to ask you guys to pray. In Jesus' name, Father, we silence every voice of accusation. And we ask for faith to arise. For every dream, every circumstance, every situation, God, 
every every blueprint for families, for marriages, for children, God, in every area, in every circumstance, God, we ask that you would remove sorrow, that you would remove pain, that you would remove shame, that you would remove every voice that would disqualify and would accuse. Right here, man, in the yellow shirt. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would silence every voice. We just declare over you, sir, in the yellow shirt, that God's voice over you is alive. And that every word he's spoken over you is true. God, that you would erase every accusation and voice that has been spoken over him. Every false narrative that he has spoken over himself. Father, we ask that you would take it at the root. God, that you would lift every weight. The Lord says, I'm lifting every weight. Every weight. You're no longer having to just get through. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask for the wind of the Spirit to blow upon every soul, upon every business owner, upon every leader, upon every husband, upon every priest. We bind every attack of the enemy over every assignment that the word of the Lord would reign true and that it would be pure. In Jesus' name, we plead the blood of Jesus over your mind that the tormentor would go. No more going through cycles of feeling like I'm okay for one day and I'm struggling for three. We ask for the God of the breakthrough to come in and minister in power. Even here at 1236 on a Sunday morning, we're waiting and we're believing and we're confident in your word. We ask for the grace, God, like Mary, at your word we stand. At your word. Father, as a spiritual family, we stand with these. And we say we champion the dream in you. We bless you. That We just, we bless you. Man, gentlemen in the yellow shirt, man, I just feel like God wants to release blessing upon you where you've been mistreated and mishandled and a lot has lacked. I just feel like in this season, God is restoring all things. Father, we pray for a restoration in every place that everything the enemy has stolen will be restored in greater measure. We're here, Lord. We commit our lives and we give you our yes. We're not bartering with you anymore. We're not saying if you do, then we will do. You have our yes, God. We love you. It is our honor to give our lives. We thank you that you love even those that work in the marketplace. Forgive us for minimizing. We thank you that our lives are a ministry before you in our workplaces as we go in our families. God, I pray today that you would solidify something, that you would remove all that needs to be removed and you would impart all that needs to be imparted by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you bless this 57-day window that we are in, not just for this house, but individually.
And I know it's late. Let's just end like this. We just, we just lift up our hands. God, as a spiritual family, we receive all that you have for us over these next 57 days. From now to May 28th, we ask that you remove the no. And not just until May 28th, but beyond. That our lives will be marked by a sovereign yes. Let everything else lay by the wayside. Let every opinion, every voice, every doubt, every bit of unbelief, we give you our yes. It doesn't have to be a big hype moment. We give you our yes. With our word, God, help our actions line up with our words. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us in this window to be to receive all that you have, both individually and corporately. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't you turn on some soaking music? I want to ask you guys to respect. If some of you are here and God's still dealing with you, we're going to be here at the altars. But for those of you that are here, we are 57, we are in a 57-day window. And I just want to say to you, hold on for just a second. It's not going to come easy. What David said is so the Lord. It's not going to come without accusation and demonic pushback. So I would encourage you, get into family and get in the narrative. And let's take hold of all God has for us over these next 57 days. Amen? Amen. If you're hearing God still ministering, you can come down. Our team's going to be here. We don't want any person to feel like they left without having prayer. If that's not you, bless you. Thank you for joining us on this weekend. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next Sunday for Resurrection Sunday.